Today, I want to really talk about the parent-child relationship, especially teenagers and preteens. But I'm not just talking to parents and children. I'm talking to, or should I say, not just parents, but talking to everybody who plays a role in helping to shape the next generation. Tell the person next to you, help with the next generation. Tell them. Yeah, we have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. If you're able to stand, please do so. And let's just read this passage, Psalm 78, 1 through 4. The psalmist writes to the nation of Israel, the community of Israel. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Shout stories. stories. We have heard and known. Shout stories. stories. Our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Everybody shout amen. amen. Lord, uh, take broken flesh in, in spite of me, despite me. Uh, speak a word. Teach some principles that will be transformative to all of us listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. The psalmist here reminds us that the nation of Israel understood that the responsibility of giving shape to the next generation was not simply the responsibility of a parent. It was the parent's responsibility inside of a larger community. There was a communal responsibility. Shout community. And so the psalmist is writing to the community. Today, as I think about that particular point, uh, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, in the best of circumstances, none of us should be raising our kids in isolation. When I think about my own life, there were tons of people who were part of shaping my life. There was my grand-aunt, grand-uncle who adopted me informally. There was my grandmother who was a surrogate extra parent who I spent most of the holidays and summers and weekends with. There were the, uh, the deacons in my church who inspired and helped to shape uh, my subconscious about uh, the values of faith. There were the teachers, uh, both black and white teachers who some were married, others were uh, single. I think about Mr. Bordelon, never had any kids till this day. He doesn't have any kids, but he challenged me to stand up. He challenged my character. As a matter of fact, I think about Mr. Knight. He was an African-American teacher, and uh, I've been to a lot of board meetings in my life, but the first board meeting I ever attended was a board meeting. He had a big board like this with holes in it, and he was not particularly a religious man, but he remembered this note, this one scripture, spoil the rod. <laughs> uh, 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 what is it? What is it? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. One verse he remembered. But I give God thanks for Mr. Knighton and for Mr. Bordelon. It was a community. It took a whole town, actually, <laughs> to help give shape to who I am. That insight, which flows out of this text, that Israel had a communal responsibility, 
uh, translates into an insight for us. So if you are a parent or a set of parents uh, wrestling with raising your kids, the first insight I want you to write down is uh, I want to challenge you to leave out of here and build a network to help you with your kids. You should not feel like you have to raise your kids in isolation. There are relatives and professionals and others. That's one of the reasons you want your kids participating in church because we have uh, a youth pastor and small group leaders and, and we know that if we can get four or five other adults in your kid's life other than you, the chances of their success, both spiritually and otherwise, go way up. Shout, build a network. If you are not a parent, but you are a mentor or a teacher or a grandparent or, or a, you know, a single person, however you define yourself, uh, but you don't have any kids uh, that you're responsible for, become a part of somebody else's network. Pay attention to somebody else. Help them with their kids, as I know a lot of aunts and uncles are doing and mentors and teachers and coaches are doing because raising kids especially today requires a community shout community second insight that uh, i want to suggest that uh, flows out of this uh, is really one captured by dr john mckinnon he wrote a book called to change your mind parenting to promote maturity in teenagers. And we're going to make sure this book is attached to this message on our website if you are interested in following up. But uh, Dr. McKinnon says that essentially the role of a parent, and I would say a community, is to help children navigate the emotional maturing process. That the body naturally matures, but we need to facilitate the emotional and intellectual maturity of our kids. And so he suggests that parents and community, we have two primary choices, uh, options, uh, primary responsibilities. The first is uh, we want to let the kids know that we're responsible for, that we see them. Everybody shout, I see them. Every kid, particularly teenagers and preteens, want to know that they are seen and heard by adults who care for them. I see you. The second responsibility, this uh, therapist says, who works with kids, says that we have uh, is uh, is to say, no further. Everybody shout, no further. In other words, draw boundaries and say, come this far and stop. In other words, we have to become comfortable with saying no to our kids. Oh, and let me say it this way. We have to become comfortable with our kids throwing temper tantrums, getting upset, not liking us, calling you a terrible person, obsolete, out of step with the rest of the world, don't want to talk to you, want to stay in their room. Just get comfortable with it. That's all right. That's part of parenting. Tell the person next to you, it's okay if your kids don't like it. It's all right. <laughs> that's, that's the proof you're doing a good job. Probably. <laughs> they don't know any better. They're kids. Yeah. Now that causes me to back into the first uh, kind of written insight that I have here for you. 
Uh, the, the psalmist wants uh, the community to take seriously their role in shaping the next generation. Let's look at the passage again, starting at uh, uh, verse 4 and 5 uh, of the psalmist. Look at, look at what he says. He, he, he talks about, he says, look, it happened to us. He says, uh, uh, we're going to claim the stories of our ancestors that were handed down to us, that the community, the generation before us, they helped to shape us. And so we will not hide the, these truths from our children. Uh, 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 and we will tell the next generation, shout, tell the next generation about the stories of God's goodness as he's worked among our people. And so we will, we will shape the faith, life, and future of the next generation. Now, let me translate this this way. What he's saying is that, um, how I say that um, we should uh, be the adults in our kids' lives and not try to be their peers. Tell the person next to you, be the adult, be the adult, be the adult. Be the adult. Be the adult in our grandkids' lives. Be the adult, be the adult. Be the adult in the lives of our nephews and our nieces. Be the adult. Be the adult in the lives of those that we would dare mentor. The first way to be the adult is to make sure that we are setting uh, clear and consistent, shout consistent, boundaries. This is, this is a no further part of what the doctor said. Notice how it shows up here in the text. I told you about verse uh, 4 and 5. I want you to look at verse 6 and 7 here in this same, in this, as the psalmist is speaking in Psalm 73. He says, for he, God that is, issued his laws to Jacob he gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded, shall commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know him. Notice even the children not yet born and they in turn will teach their own children. Notice the focus on the commandments, on the law. These are the places where God was saying to the people, uh, uh, here are your boundaries. They're clear, and God is saying, I'm consistent. I'm not changing them because of what mood I'm in. If the curfew is 11 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock. Today, tomorrow, the next day, shout consistent. Consistent. The doctors, uh, folk who, sociologists who work with kids tell us, if you want to really mess up kids, just say yes to them all the time. They can run a straight line between kids who always got their way and mental health and psychological challenges in their adulthood. There's a straight line. Kids need boundaries. Boundaries. Now let me just pause here. I want to focus on this adult versus being their peer. Why would we do this? I have empathy. I want to say this empathetically. First one, Paul, part of why we tend, if we're not careful, to, to lean into being a peer is because of our own brokenness. Some of us have come out of divorce and we're feeling guilty about it. We've, uh, 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 some of us are, 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 are single parent. Maybe uh, our spouse 
died and we're, we're trying to make up for the loss there is. Some of us are in poor and bad relationships. And, and, and again, we're feeling guilty about the kids growing up in those relationships. And so we're trying to overcompensate. Some of us uh, shout brokenness. Uh, our brokenness. Some of us grew up in super controlling homes and we had very little things, uh, very little uh, uh, stuff for ourselves. We had great struggle. And so we've said we don't want our kids to go through what we went through. And so we overcompensate. Shout overcompensate. Go to the other extreme. So out of a place of guilt, right? Overcompensating. Um, We want to make life easy for our kids. I want to suggest to you and to me, I'm a parent, that one of the most dangerous things we can do for our kids is to make life too easy. Elbow the person next to you and say, did you hear that? Because for some of us as parents, that's the goal. We just want to make life easy. We think that's what parenting is all about. Some of you have heard me tell the story before. It's one of my favorite stories. A little boy sees a cocoon hanging down in his window. He's read in his science book that there's a butterfly in there. One day he looks and the thing is pushing and pushing and pushing. He knows there's a butterfly in there. He runs and gets a razor blade, slices the cocoon open, pulls back the skin, pulls the butterfly out, straightens out his, his wings, throws the butterfly, uh, and butterfly flops once and falls straight to the ground. Little boy runs down and, a little boy, and discovers the butterfly cannot fly. He runs back up to his dad and tells his dad what happened. And his dad says, oh, son, I know you weren't trying to. You were trying to be compassionate. You were trying to care for the butterfly. But the problem is you disrupted the natural struggle. Because within that cocoon, as that butterfly is pushing the way God has designed it, that the fluid pushes, fo- pushes into the wings. And when the wings get strong enough, then the butterfly pushes through and he or she is able to fly. He said, you disrupted the struggle that was a part of his development. Parents, listen to me. Be careful of, about disrupting the struggle That's a part of the development of that child. Your child needs struggle. Somebody shout struggle. They need struggle. Stop running to the aid, rescuing them, making it easy for them. Let them struggle a little bit. Well, now some of you sitting here say, okay, that makes sense to me. And yet you're going to go home. And you're going to have a 16-year-old or 15-year-old, and they're going to be sitting in their room watching TV, playing on their phone or doing some game. And there you're going to be in the kitchen all by yourself. You'll have cooked all day, all evening, worked all day, come home, cooked in the evening. And now you're washing all the dishes. They're in the room just having a good time. You're washing the dishes. Now you're going to put a load of clothes in. You're paying the bills, the lights on, everything. And they're laying in bed just selling it out. And, and, and you've totally forgot that this pastor said to you, don't eliminate the struggle. Well, why would you do that? Let me suggest a potential reason. Sometimes we are afraid of losing 
the friendship of the child. Because we don't know it, so I want you to think about it. Because we're using that child to provide for our own emotional needs. Elbow the person next to you and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. Tell them. <laughs> we have to discipline ourselves in order to do not a perfect job raising kids. Nobody do that, does that. But a faithful job raising kids. So draw clear and consistent boundaries. Number two, uh, supervise. Everybody shout supervise. Supervise these kids, teenagers, preteens. Man, you want to know who they're with, you want to know where they are, you want to know what they're doing, you want to know what they're, who they're doing it with, you want to be there, if you're not there, you want somebody who can report, my grand aunt has spies all over the town. <laughs> Why? Because in your teenagers, there, there's something they call the, 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 frontal, the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is where the judgment is, is made. The frontal lobe is where, uh, it was where your impulse control develops. Frontal lobe is where the planning faculty is developed. And in most kids, the frontal lobes do not develop until they hit about 25 years old. Now that explains why your kids are doing crazy stuff, because the frontal lobe is not developed. For men, it doesn't develop until we're about 28. It's true. So one doctor says that parents, that part of our role is to be the missing frontal lobe. And we're helping with the judgment and so forth and so on. And then lastly, it's your responsibility to set the rules, but make sure you say why. Everybody shout, say why. Now listen, in the house I grew up in, I was seven, eight, nine years old, up until about 10 years old. My grand-aunt or grand-uncle would say, do X, Y, and Z. And if I had the nerve or the audacity to say why, they had a very short and simple answer because I said so. <laughs> and I, they would dare not ask it a second time. However, when I became, when I got to be about 12, 13 years old, and I really started messing up in class, my grand-aunt took the lead in not just saying the what, but saying the why. Because kids need to see the reasoning. And so what she said to me was, look, you're not doing your homework. You're acting out in class. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to undercut yourself academically. And you're going to limit your possibilities. And then she told me a story. She told me a story about my Uncle Seth, who uh, ended up, didn't finish school, ended up in prison. And he got shot and killed in prison. That was her negative example of a story. Then she told me another story about a child's story. She told me another story of, uh, of, of her own life. How she had to drop out of school because of, you know, she had to help out in the fields. Uh, but then she ended up marrying, got into a domestic violence. She exited that. But ultimately, she went back to school, night school, and got her GED. And as a result of her education, GED, she ended up in the late 60s being able to purchase her own house, her own property. Late 60s, early 70s, an African-American woman who worked as a domestic servant for a white family, purchasing her own property. Come on, somebody ought to give God a hand praise for that. And, and, 
And she said it was her education that helped to help her to think at a greater level. And so she, she, she told me, everybody shout, stories. That was the why behind the what, the rules. Now watch this in the text. It's in the text, the same thing. Look at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5, in, uh, in, if you put it back up there, chapter 7, look, it says, it's the stories that our ancestors passed down. Uh, it was, and, and, and therefore, we won't hide the truth from their children. Uh, we will tell the next generation about God's goodness. That's there, right? Then go down to uh, verse 5 and <clears throat> verse uh, 6 and 7. And notice, notice what he says here. For he issued his laws, this is the what? These are the boundaries, to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors, right? Here is the boundaries. Here are the things that you should do and the things that you should not do. The why is contained in the stories that we're telling you. You see that? You see the connection? The children went through the story. They went through the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea. Uh, but on the other side, uh, they made false gods. And, and horrible things began to happen one to another inside that context. And so as a result of that, God has to remind them, thou shalt have no other God but me, you see. Tell your kids, listen, your stories. This psalmist is suggesting that the stories of the good and the bad, of the uh, people who are faithful and when they were unfaithful, tell that to the children and then let them see the extraordinary faithfulness of God through it all. So you have to tell your kids the story. Tell them about when you were crazy. Tell them about when you were doing frontal lobe crazy stuff. Right? Don't just tell them, don't just show yourself in the positive light because they'll learn, they'll listen to you, they'll pay more attention to you when it doesn't look like you are there and they're here. Shout, tell the stories. Uh, And so that's the, be sure you say why. Second insight, first insight then is be an adult, not a peer. Second insight is be affirming. Everybody shout, affirming. Affirming, affirming, affirming. Let me quickly run through these because I want to get to a verse that I want to highlight here. Uh, One of the ways to be affirming to your kids, particularly teenagers and young, are the kids that's entrusted to you. You may be teaching them. They may be uh, uh, kids in your spiritual class. Uh, Is to validate their feelings. Remember, when it comes to feelings, there's no right or wrong. It's just your feelings. And oftentimes, we want to protect our kids, and so we unintentionally dismiss their feelings. So, for example, they're in a relationship, and they break up in the relationship, and we're trying to make their pain less. And so what we say to them is, well, I knew she was no good in the first place. Don't cry over that. That's not worth crying over. Well, you just dismissed their feelings. What we really suggest that you do is, is that you, you reflect back to them uh, what they're feeling. And, and so this is how you, know, you simply say like, this, oh, I, 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 I can see how that must have been difficult for you. Let's try that. Say it with me. Say, oh, I can see how that must have been difficult for you. By the way, some of this will help you with your adult relationships. Try this again. Oh, 
I can see how that must have been hurtful to you. See, just good communication. You're firm. The feelings. I know somebody, some husband this one said, you want to try that when I get home? <laughs> All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I got off script. <laughs> Secondly, uh, demonstrate trust. Demonstrate growing trust in your kid's life. See, at the end of the day, there's one file. If you read through the Proverbs, you get an insight about God. The writer of Proverbs makes one basic point in a thousand different ways. He simply is this. He says, listen, I want you to learn the wisdom of God. Right? That's what's going on here with the psalmist. He says, I want you to tell the stories and give them the creeds and the laws because in, in, inside of the laws and the decrees and the stories, you'll find the wisdom of God. Watch this. Because God is saying, I don't need to be on your shoulder telling you every decision you need to make. And one text says, I'm not going to put a bit in your mouth and, 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 and move you like a, like a person directing a mew. I want you to have the wisdom, shout wisdom. wisdom. Then you can make some decisions on your own. Empower them with wisdom. So you have to create what I call a growing expansion of trust. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Early on, my wife and I took turns reviewing Lauren's homework. Every night, she did it, we had to review it. As she became a freshman in high school, we pulled back and rather than reviewing it every night, we started reviewing it every other night. Some trust. And then we finally got to the point where we didn't actually review it, we just would ask, uh, are you sure you dotted the I's and crossed the T? We knew she had some, some basic things that she would usually mess up. And, and go back and check that. Make sure you got that right. Expanding the trust. And now, we never review her, her homework. Right? Now, she's an excellent student. She's not a perfect student. There are still some times that she messed up, she missed this, that, so forth, and we call her to account for it. But in general, she has demonstrated she can be trusted with her homework. How do you demonstrate trust for your, your, your kids? Growing trust. Uh, 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 Rhonda now, because she's primarily responsible for on the weekend, she used to plan out Lauren's weekend because Lauren had all these different things. But now she sits with Lauren and says, okay, Lauren, you got, uh, these are the things we got to get done in the weekend. You go create a schedule for the whole weekend. Bring it to me. I'll prove it. Somebody shout trust. Building trust. You know? I always remember when my father, for the very first time, gave me the car keys and said, I want you to run down the street to, to, the, to the store and pick up some bread. I'll give you a little money. Come on, right on back. Oh, I felt like I was Superman. <laughs> he trusted me. Yeah. I'm sure he was praying. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was praying. I'm sure he was praying. But he trusted Shout trust. Demonstrate trust, not the opposite. Look for a way to demonstrate trust. Thirdly, uh, give praise. Let me give you another word. Here's a Silicon Valley word for praise. Feedback. 
Your kids desire feedback from their parents, and they don't just want negative feedback. We're good on the negative feedback. You didn't do that. You forgot that. How come you don't do that? When are you going to get to that? That's the negative feedback. And we should, we should give that. We should do that, right? But we should be as visual on giving the positive feedback. Here's what you're getting right. Now, let me give you an example. God says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, watch this. God models this for us, right? Jesus has, is commencing his public ministry. He's lived a perfect life for the 30 years, and now he submits to baptism kind of as the final thing. And here's what it says. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice, this is the Father now, from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Don't you think if the Father needed to do that for Jesus, you need to do it for your kids? Yeah, go ahead, celebrate that. That's worth celebrating. By the way, I love the fact that the voice comes out and he not only praises Jesus but he, he does it so other people can hear it. You really want to bless your kid? Let them overhear you bragging on them to other people. I remember my, uh, my grand uncle was very, he didn't give me direct compliments. But what he did was pretty powerful. We'd, be, we'd get home, and my grand-aunt was sitting there, sitting there. He said, oh, you should have seen the boy as he led devotion today. I mean, he really, really prayed. Never told me one thing. But I'm sitting in the room. He's not talking to me. He's talking to my grand-aunt. And yet that's powerful to see him, hear him brag on me to somebody else. Reinforces value. And so, uh, praise them. Now, lastly, uh, in this section, I'm talking about be affirming. Shout, be affirming. Um, control your own emotions. Elbow the other person and say, did you hear that? <laughs> Don't try to, per se, control their emotions. Control your emotions. And let me give you the scripture very quickly because it's very important. I'm talking about your grandkids. I'm talking about the nieces and nephews, the folks that you're mentoring as well as your parents. Listen to the scripture, James 1.19. I had this uh, last week. It's very applicable here. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to what? And slow to get angry. And the, the, the sociologists say that that your teenagers, especially because the, the slowness of their, the development of their, their kind of emotional capacity, that they're prone to kind of jump off, get upset, and so forth and so on. They say, remember, you're the adult. And so, you know, maybe you have to take a few deep breaths and then respond. Maybe you have to count to 10 and then respond. Uh, maybe you have to just hit a pause because, you know, they're going at it and you're just ready to go at it. You just hit a pause and say, look, we're going to talk about this. Uh, we'll talk about this in, in three or four hours. Let's go chill out. All appropriate, very healthy advice. Now, let me just give you one insight out of my own 
culture and life. All that's important. And, everybody shout and. It's also important that your kids know where the boundary of respect is. Did y'all, you didn't hear that. Let me say it again. It's also important that your kids know where the boundaries of respect is. Right? Now, I say to my kids, listen, all of them, they can tell me anything they want to tell me. They don't like something, they tell me, they tell me. They disagree, I want to know. It's how they tell me. Right? Don't shout at me. Because I learned from my grand-aunt, grand-uncle, don't do that. Right? I had to draw, 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 because I need to teach. There's a boundary of respect. I'm your daddy. There's a certain way you talk to your daddy. If I hear them talking wrong to their mama, I interject. Don't talk to your mama like that. Why? Well, I'll just speak to the young people of color. If you don't learn how to respect boundaries in your house, then you will go out in the street and the police will pull you over and you'll pull the same thing. The problem is the historic record shows that you're more liable to get killed. I know I'm in mixed order, so I'm educating. So let's teach our kids. I tell my kids, you know, you just be responsible. You can't stay here and disrespect me. You can be disrespectful, but you can't stay here. Because if you've grown enough to be disrespectful, you've grown enough to pay your bills. I'll just let you find your own place. Is anybody listening to me this? <laughs> I want to give you the full range. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's uh, make sure you're affirming and control your emotions. Uh, let me give you the text, Ephesians 6, 4, because this is important too. Inside of what I've just said, this is important. Fathers, do not provoke your children angry by the way you treat them. Don't you be yelling and screaming and cussing. Come on. Parents, rather bring them up with the discipline. See that? Shout discipline. discipline. You can be clear and keep your voice just like this. Rarely do I raise my voice any more than when I'm talking to y'all. Now, for some of y'all, we admit, this is loud. <laughs> and instruction that comes from Lord, discipline and instruction without pushing them beyond their own uh, place of control. All right, lastly, shout, be there. Be there, be there. So bring this to a close. Be there, be there, be there, be there. Here's my favorite text as it relates to this. Uh, Isaiah 43.2, I think it is. Listen to this. This is what God says. Uh, he says, Isaiah 43, 2. Not 42. 43, 2. He says, uh, the New Living Translation says, uh, uh, as you pass through the waters, deep waters, I will be with you. 
as you go through the rivers of difficulty, the NLT says, you will not drown. Why? Implications, I'll be with you. As you pass through the fire, you will not be consumed by the flame. Why? The implications are because I will be with you. All right, here's an insight. Listen to this insight. Be there for your kids a couple of ways. Number one, be there by learning how to listen. Everybody shout, listen. Listen, listen. Be an active listener. Be curious with your kids. By the way, if your kids are not talking to you, you say they don't have anything to say because they're always on their phone. They're always playing their games. They just have nothing to say. They don't have no imagination. All right. Take the phone. No, just take it for a couple of hours. Oh, some of you say, oh, my God, I can't take the phone. I, 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 I need to be in touch with my kids. I, didn't, I say when they get home, take the phone. Guess what's going to happen? Give them about 40 minutes, maybe an hour. They start talking. Because they get distracted and soaked up by the technology. Give it a shot. All right? But listen to them. Don't over... Uh, don't overtalk them. Be curious. Be willing to ask questions. Everybody shout, listen. Let them know you're listening by how you respond to them. Feedback. You know, simply say something like when they say X, Y, and Z, repeat what they said so they know you heard them. Here's an example. Uh, so uh, what you're saying is the reason why you made a C on the exam is because you studied for X and the professor taught X. Is that right? That's right. Notice how I said, is that right? They heard it. Again, couples, this will work with y'all too. Oh, so the reason why you got here an hour late for curfew is because your battery went out in your phone. Is that right? That's right. You didn't see anybody else in the whole wide world with a phone? But where were you on Gilligan's Island? What? What? (laughs) But you got to start letting them know you heard them. (laughs) You're listening. (laughs) But y'all listen. Secondly, be be there. um, Be there uh, by doing things with them. Honor the things they like. If they like certain games, whatever the PlayStation or whatever that stuff is, here's what, the, here's what the sociologists tell us. Basically, your kids only need about 20 minutes of your time a day. Shout, 20 minutes. <laughs> Substantive time, right? 20 minutes. Figure out what they're doing and within reason, participate. Inquire, talk about it. Let them teach you about how to do that. They're knitting, talk about it. Figure that out. Talk, sit down with them as they're going through the deal, whatever the situation is, do something. Have dinners together two or three times a week. And don't be peppering them with questions. Just have a conversation. Be open. Be relaxed. Let them know they can hang out with you without you trying to pepper them with questions. And then they'll just start talking. They'll give offhand remarks. And you'll figure out kind of how to reinforce what needs to be reinforced. Uh, 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 watch what they watch with them. Elbow the person and say, oh, that's a good one. 
I haven't done it recently, but a year ago, uh, a couple years ago, Lauren and I, we, we, we binge watched all of her programs together. And, and when, and by the way, if you feel uncomfortable watching what they're watching with them, probably they don't need to be watching it. <laughs> if you're uncomfortable watching it with them. All right. So I'm watching it. And whenever something would happen that was inconsistent with the values that we're teaching, we'd stop and I'd say, okay, now, did you see what went down? Yeah. All right. Now, how does that line up with what we're teaching? She says, oh, dad, I know what the deal is. I will tell me. And so she'd tell me how it lines up. I said, good. No lecture. I'm not going. I said, let's go ahead. You got it. Got it. I'm not even trying to control what she ultimately believes. That's going to be her choice because she's a teenager. I just want to make sure she knows what we're teaching and why. Everybody shout, why? what they're watching and uh, oh my goodness um, and then finally set aside special time for your kids now let me end it here that's the three basic insights I want to share with you uh, be an adult be affirming be present oh let me give you this you teach what you model. Say it with me. I teach what I model. Okay. So, if you tell your, your, your kids, eat your vegetables, but they never see you eat vegetables, <laughs> you teach what you model. Come on. If, if, you, if, you, if you say to the kids, treat, I want you to be respectful, but you're being disrespectful to your spouse, your girlfriend, the people around you, cussing folk out, talking all loud, all that. Come on, come on, come on. That's what they're going to do. You teach what they, what you model. If you, if you listen with curiosity and questions, guess what? They'll learn how to listen with curiosity and questions. If you are present for them at basketball games, present for them whenever they're doing important things, guess what? They will learn how to be present for others. You teach what you model. See? If you want to break a bad pattern in your life that your parents didn't do for you, remember, you teach what you, what? What you model. Let me give you this last piece. It's Dr. King's holiday, and I want to read this. Uh, most of us don't know that uh, Dr. King uh, here it is. That Dr. King, I'm going to shift from teenagers to adults now. Dr. King had a, uh, as Coretta Scott King res res described him in her book, My Life with Martin Luther King, had a very overbearing, super controlling daddy. They referred to him as Daddy King. And, and when Dr. King was about to be called to Dexter Avenue Church, which was a church in, Mass in uh, Montgomery, uh, and Dr. King was upset, the father, because he had wanted his son to become an associate at Ebenezer where he pastors so that his son could, could succeed him. And Martin said, no, I'm going to Dexter. Here's how it describes Reverend King, the daddy's reaction. Still wounded because his son was rejecting his natural succession at Ebenezer, Daddy King tried to strike fear into his son. The notorious barons of Dexter would trample him, he said. He won nothing but danger, humiliation, and career disaster lays ahead in Montgomery. 
But King uh, decides to sidestep his normal mixture of filibuster charm and stubbornness with his dad. And he simply said, Dad, I'm going to be the pastor at Dexter. Now, I talked to you a few moments ago about the need for the parent to draw boundaries with their teenagers and preteens. But what Dr. King just taught us is that as adults, sometimes we need to draw boundaries with our parents. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but I'm so happy he went to Dexter. Because had he not gone to Dexter, he would not have been in Montgomery when Rosa Park decided not to give up her seat. Come on. Had he not gone to Dexter, he wouldn't have been in Montgomery when, when, when they needed to hire a young preacher with his credentials to lead the Montgomery bus boycott. Had he not gone to Montgomery, he, uh, 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 we would have never heard this fella talk to the nation about a dream that he had. I'm so glad he drew a boundary. Come on now. But held on. He drew the boundary, but held on to his dad and raised a dream for the rest of us. Come on, let's give God some hand praise. 